Well, thanks very much for reading the passage first. Uh, before we, uh, we look at the passage, why don't I pray for our time together? Father, we thank you for speaking to us. And we ask that we might respond in faith by what we hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, here is uh, an illustration that I heard by another speaker over the past week. And I'm shamelessly just going to steal it and share it with you because it's a really good illustration. And the speaker was reflecting on the really excellent sermon uh, that was given by the Archbishop of York uh, during the, uh, the Queen's Jubilee service. And the speaker was highlighting that in his sermon, uh, the name Jesus was mentioned 28 times. I mean, as a source of the Queen's faith over her 70 years of service. I didn't watch the, the sermon live, but I actually went back to read the transcript. And it was a really good sermon, so I could I would commend it to you to look look for it, look look for it online and and have a read. Uh, but the next day, uh, can you guess what? Um, all the major newspapers are reporting on the jubilee service. None of them mentioned the name Jesus, although it was the focus of the sermon. Are still in the saddle, yes, but not Jesus. And I thought it was worth sharing because it's an illustrative, it's illustrative of the secular nation that we live in today. Uh, perhaps uh, we all have different experiences individually. Uh, some of you may be um, having a more difficult time being a Christian. Some of you may be okay. But I think largely speaking, it's harder to be a Christian today than the previous generation. And it's in this context that we live in today that the call from the book of Hebrews is for all of us to endure. Well, we were here in the past uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at this passage. Uh, we said that the final section of the book of Hebrews, where we come to in this final, final book, is the call to endurance. And my aim is for all of us who are sitting in this room, uh, in 10, 20, or 30 years, that we will all endure to the end, uh, that none of us here will fall away. Uh, who knows what the future may bring? Uh, you may be facing a radical situation or decisions to make that might impact your lifestyle, your career ambitions, your reputation. And it's in those situations, the question is, will you endure? And so we saw that the, the secret to endurance uh, is this, is to hold fast to your confession. The confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, that's the secret, holding fast to your confession. But what do we mean by holding fast? How do you physically hold on to, to a truth? How do you hold on to the confession? And I guess holding on, if you, if you like, is a metaphor. And what it practically means, and what we, what we actually mean when we say hold on, well, I think it means is to have faith. I look at chapter 10, verse 38. Chapter 10, verse 38. Sorry, verse 37. For a little while, the coming one will come and not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith. But here's the issue. What do we mean by faith? And I wonder what you, th you think when you hear the word faith. You might be a bit embarrassed about the word my faith, your faith. Uh, here is a tweet by Richard Dawkins in 2015. And here's how he defines faith. Faith means belief in the absence of evidence. Faith means belief in the absence of evidence. And that gives the, the impression that 
a favor is uh, convincing yourself. It's not convincing, but you have to convince yourself, compel yourself to believe. It's a leap in the dark uh, to, to believe in something despite the lack of evidence. And we might say that perhaps it's largely adopted by society, that definition. We see the problem with that definition is the Bible. Uh, the Bible has a different definition of what faith is. Uh, that may be Richard Dawkins' definition. He can criticize it for all he wants. It's okay. Uh, that's just not the Bible's definition. And so my goal for our time in the next 15 minutes or so is to restore your faith in the word faith. Okay, to restore your faith in the word faith. And so what then is faith according to our author? And if you're following Hannah, we have first point, uh, the what, the how, and the why of faith. I look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the first thing to notice is the what of faith. Uh, faith is in things that are hoped for, things that are not seen. Or in other words, faith is in what you hear, or faith is in words. Faith is a response to words, an active response to what you hear. And it's worth pointing out that in, a, in its essence, it's not primarily a religious thing. It's simply a description of what faith is in. It's no different for, imagine uh, your, your Aunt Maggie, she calls you on the phone, she says, Dear Alistair, I'm coming over for supper tomorrow. And you respond to her words by going down to Sainsbury's, buy a really nice rack of lamb, and preparing her a meal. Uh, that's responding in faith to words. It's no different from Richard Dawkins telling you on YouTube that the world created itself, and you responding in faith to those words. So faith is responsive in nature, responding in not what you see, but what you hear. So really, we can get the sense that what his Richard Dawkins' definition, faith cannot be in the absence of evidence because it must be a response to evidence or something that you, you hear. Okay, so that's the word of faith. Faith is an active response to words. The second thing, the how of faith. Uh, faith is, is confident. Let me read again from verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, confidence, assurance is intrinsic to what faith is. Again, uh, Alistair's aunt Maggie gives him a call and says that he, she's coming over for supper tomorrow. Um, and as he responds to her, her words by going to the supermarket to buy a rack of lamb, um, he's expressing confidence in her words. If you don't have confidence, you have no faith, uh, you have no confidence. If you have faith, you are confident. I notice it's not blind. It's not a blind assurance. Um, you know that your aunt, uh, you know her. She has a historical record of being on time. She hates people who are, who are late. And so you are exercising your faith. Uh, it's a confident, considered faith in the person. So faith is an active response to words. Faith is confident. Uh, thirdly, the, the why of faith. A faith, well, it results in a reward. I look at verse 2. For by it, the people of all receive their commendation. Now we're going to see, but that faith will be the only way to receive a reward from God. 
So we've just seen the word of faith. Faith is a response to words. The how of faith. Faith is confident. And the why of faith. It is the means by which you receive a reward. Again, it's worth laboring that apart from the why, there's nothing inherently Christian about what faith is. Um, all faith or all belief is in words, is in something unseen. And all faith, it's confident by, by nature, it's intrinsic to the definition of the word. So what is unique about the Christian faith? What is unique about Christian faith to other faiths? And that's where we come to our second point. A faith, the Christian faith, is in not any words, but God's words. I look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Look down to verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, do you notice it's faith in, in God's word which distinguishes Christian faith? I also want you to notice that these verses from verse 3 to verse 7, uh, it covers the narrative from Genesis 1 to 11. And if you like, it's a microcosm of all of history. Uh, you start with creation, the word of God created the world, and you end with decreation, and you like recreation in verse 7, Noah, as the world was decreated by the flood and recreated. And so I've got a diagram on your handout. Um, uh, it's a really insightful diagram. Um, it is a picture of, I guess, how God, how we relate to God uh, before the final day. Um, if you like, in the in-between time before, cre between creation and decreation, it's his divine word that comes down inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we respond to his words in faith. With the words coming down, and we respond to his words in faith. But that's how God works in the in-between, between creation and decreation. Uh, of course, believing in his words uh, requires that we believe he exists. So I think that's what the author is saying there in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He's speaking about Enoch there. And whoever... And sorry, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the point is the faith is unseen. All faith is unseen. But what's unique about the Christian faith is that faith is in God's word. Uh, here's a quick application before we push on. Uh, this is essentially why we open the Bible every Thursday. Because that is the only way that you will endure. If faith is the secret to endurance, only when you open the Bible and you have the divine word being spoken, only then can you respond in faith. And no open Bible, no words, no faith. It's only when the words are open can you respond in faith. So faith is in God's word. But then you might ask, okay, that's great, but specifically, what words of God, what words of God do we have faith in? Let's come to our third point for today. Faith is in God's words of promise. <laughs> it is the words of promise. Uh, the next section from verse 8 all the way down to 22, it tracks the narrative from Genesis 12 to 50 of the patriarchs of Israel. 
And the focus that our author wants to see is that they all have faith in God's promise. I look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was, he was called. Notice he's responding to a voice as well. So the call comes, he responds. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. Uh, do you notice he responded to uh, a call or a promise to go to a place, uh, the place, the land, uh, the future inheritance. And it's very striking about the how of Abraham's faith, uh, his confidence and his, his conviction. I look at verse 8 again. Uh, he went out, sorry, the second half of verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going and not knowing. Imagine now you go back to your office after lunch and Phil, you get called in by your boss and he says, Phil, we are going to send you, uh, your wife, uh, to another country. And you say, okay, where, you ask. What's the job description? And he says, sorry, we can't tell you. You've just got to go. Will you take the job? Will you uproot your family and go? Uh, verse 8, he went out not knowing where he was going. Well, it's a tremendous display of conviction. But there's more. I mean, surely, Phil, you might say, well, surely there's got to be an amazing expat package. Um, at least accommodation will be covered. Uh, maybe private ed education as well. Perhaps you get a car thrown in. Oh, but definitely you have hardship allowance. Uh, look at verse 9. <coughs> By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, as with him of the same promise. I'm guessing in the room or in the call, there is a range of um, different affinities to camping, uh, personally, I, I quite enjoy going camping. I even managed to convince my wife to do a day without showering. The next morning, we jump into the car to Airbnb uh, to get that shower. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I probably could do more than a day, and I'm, I'm not sure what about your own, um, how much camping you actually enjoy. But look at what Abraham does. He uproots his whole family uh, to go to a foreign land to live permanently in a tent. Uh, He's living in a tent with Isaac and Jacob. So do you notice Abraham's faith? He responds to God's word of promise of a future place and inheritance, but he does it with real assurance, real conviction, and real confidence. Well, but why did Abraham do it? You might ask. What motivates him for doing so? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It's a reward at the end that motivated him. Well, how shall we apply this passage, you might ask? Surely we all can unroot uh, our families and ourselves to go to uh, for one long camping trip. And it's true, we don't have a specific call to move locations. I think the author in his description of Abraham, uh, he wants to place Abraham in a very similar position to which we are in. I look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Uh, do you see that like Abraham, we are looking forward to a future city, a future land. And so Abraham, because of his, what he was looking forward to, he was willing to, to live like an exile, a stranger on this earth. But he had the, the attitude or the mindset to thread lightly on this earth. He didn't plant his roots too deeply. And for him, living on this earth was like living in a tent. It's a temporary shelter to his final destination, the future city. And so the encouragement is for us to do the same. But what is faith? Uh, we see that faith is a confident response to words, but specifically God's word of promise about a future land. But it's one more aspect to God's promise, and that is God's promise of life after death. I look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Look down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Uh, do you notice that both Abraham and Sarah, uh, they're both confronted by death. Uh, you have a dead womb and a dying old man and a dead son. And in both instances, they receive a word of promise of life. Uh, through Isaac, your offspring be. And again, notice it is not blind faith that they have. Uh, it wasn't a leap in the dark. Look at verse 11. Uh, by faith, Sarah shall receive power to conceive even when she was passage, since she considered, considered him faithful. She considered, she thought, she pondered, she deliberated whether God was faithful. And so she based it on the evidence that God provided for a family in the tents, or how God opened the wombs of Abimelech's slave, if you read the story back in Genesis. And so she puts her faith in that evidence. Again, verse 17. Uh, to look at verse 19, look at Abraham. He, Abraham, verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So Abraham, he, he thought, he pondered, he deliberated that God was able to raise the dead. He made sense of, see, if God was the creator of life, he can recreate life after death. If God created Isaac out of a dead womb, he surely can recreate life from a dead boy. So surely he can raise the dead and he responds in accordance. So faith, it's, it's a considered response to God's promise of life after death. For Abraham, he, he had a, hit a baby from a dead womb as evidence. But we have a dead man from a tomb as evidence. A dead man coming back to life. A historical event witnessed by more than 500 people and evidence from the words of those who were there. And that is our faith, where we put our faith in that evidence. So faith is a considered response to the promise of life after death. 
And so as I mentioned at the start, my, my hope is to restore your faith in the word faith, that it does not mean belief in the absence of evidence. But rather, it's confident, it's a considered response of the evidence of God's words of promise, and then you act, respond in faith. Faith is, is confident, it is responding to God's word of promise, and it receives a reward. And we say that so our big goal is endurance, you know, endurance in the face of an increasingly secular society, endurance that will come at the cost um, of perhaps lifestyle choices, career, maybe your reputation, um, or just bearing that look when you tell people you are a Christian. And the key to endurance is faith. A couple of reflections as we finish our time. Faith must be responsive. It must take action. Uh, some of you, or many, most, many of you will know that I'm a very keen cyclist. And often when I cycle, I tend to meet new people in my cycling club. And often they ask me what I do. And so I share with them that I teach the Bible for a living. And they ask me, why do you do so? And here's my standard answer that I give to people. I said, I used to work in banking. And so I did the math. If you do investment in the bank, uh, what's your return on investment? Say it's five to maybe 100 million. What's your time horizon? Uh, maybe five years. If you're working in pensions, maybe 20, 30 years, uh, that's your time horizon. But if you tell people about Jesus, uh, what's your time horizon? It's eternity. What's your return on investment? It's people. And people is infinitely more valuable than money. And so I tell them, I want to invest my life where it's most valuable. You see, that's God's word of promise coming down. There's eternal life. There's life after death. There's a future city. And I respond in faith to those words of promise. And again, um, the way we express our faith will be different. It will be different from each of us. It's different for Noah, different for Abraham, for Enoch, for, for you and for me. It may be a radical decision or it may simply be standing firm in a difficult situation. But it must, it must be responsive. And so I'm not sure where you currently are at personally. So in any gathering, there's always going to be a range of different experiences. Perhaps you may be facing a situation that may require a radical decision. What do you do? You listen, you consider the words of promise. You open your Bible and you hear the God's words of promise. And then you respond in faith. And that faith will result in a great reward. Perhaps some of you may be doubting, and it's okay to doubt. Uh, that's a very normal experience. But what you need when you doubt is to open your Bible again, uh, to consider the promise of God, to listen to his words. Because faith is responsive in nature. It's only when you hear his words can you respond in faith and grow in faith. So keep asking, keep listening. They are good questions, sorry, good answers to your questions. Um, and to kind of end off, uh, there's a shameless plug to encourage you to keep coming each Thursday because that's what we do. Uh, we open the Bible, we hear the divine word coming down, and it's an opportunity for us to respond in faith each Thursday. So let me encourage you to put it a regular thing in your diary. I know you guys are busy, uh, but that's an opportunity for you to endure as you respond to faith, as you hear God's word each week. A verse to close as we finish. But my righteous one shall live by faith. 
Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let me pray.